By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, Skytrack, Unicore, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So just as a quick reminder to our current listeners, and if maybe this is your first episode, The Sweet Spot is an evergreen podcast. Everything we talk about is not related to time, so you can go back to our first episode, our 20th. We're trying to create a library of content that can exist forever. So this is your first episode. Just know that nothing's sequential. We're just trying to educate golfers on a bunch of topics, right, Adam? Yep, that's it. We're creating a library of content for you guys. So just go through it and educate yourself. And also as another request, if you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify, if you could leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be helpful for new people finding the show. So you and I have talked a lot offline about educating people as we do on various episodes about ball flight laws and impact laws. So we wanted to take each topic that we think is important for golfers to understand on multiple levels and just educate you more about it. So 
We're going to do a ball flight law one today. What are we talking about here? Well, lots of people have launch monitors these days. You know, people are buying Mevos, GC quads, things like that. So they're starting to see all these different numbers. I mean, this one that we're talking about is a very well-known one anyway. We're talking about spin rate. So in particular, backspin. I mean, some people talk about side spin and backspin. The reality is the ball only has one spin. It's just on an axis. And so that axis might be tilted a little bit, which causes the curvature. But yeah, the spin, the amount of revolutions that a ball has, that's what we're going to be talking today. What it does, how it affects the ball flight, how we can achieve more or less of it, when we might need to achieve more or less of it. Any other goals for the podcast today, John? Yeah, I just want to give people, you know, even if you don't have a launch monitor and you have no idea what your spin numbers are, I want to just give a few things... Well, hopefully more than a few things. We'll give you some knowledge on, you know, looking at your ball and, and knowing what the spin is doing. Of course, you can work with the launch monitor or even with an instructor or fitter to get more direct data on what your spin rates are. But there's been a lot of, you know, myths and misinformation that have been given to golfers about spin. And I can think of many examples throughout my earlier days in golf where I had the wrong information about some concepts relating to spin. We'll probably talk about the hitting down on it scenario that made the game harder for me. So we're going to try and point you in the right direction, as we always do, on on a few different key concepts about spin. And if a few of them help your game, we're all for it. So where do we start? I think there's a lot of different directions you can go with spin and what it means, because it, it does mean different things throughout the bag. Like backspin is different with your driver, what your goal is for the ball flight with your driver and what spin rate is versus an iron or a wedge. And it's different for different people as well, depending on what you do, things like how you launch it, how high you launch it, your ball speed. The spin rate can be slightly different. You know, the general trends, obviously we want a lower spin with the driver than than we have with a wedge. That's universal, but everybody might have different spin goals. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance in there. I don't think you need to know all the nuance, but there's some good rules to understand that we'll go through. Oh, come on. You know I love nuance. Yeah, well, it just depends how long we're going to talk about this for. We don't know the answer to that yet. So I liked your, we, we did a little huddled before we started recording and we shared some of our notes. I like the structure of your notes. So do we want to go through your progression here on on understanding spin rate? And then I'll pepper in with some of my thoughts as well. Yes, I thought we'd go with what is it, then we'd move on to what does it do? you know, in terms of ball flight, what creates it? So lots of people are asking questions. How do I create more? How do I create less? And then we've got some swing stuff I might go through as well, you know, looking at instead of just impact physics, how we can move differently, maybe to increase or decrease spin. We could look at goals for spin. You know, what are the goals for certain people, certain clubs? And then we've got a few questions to answer from Twitter, I think, right? Yeah, we got a few on there. All right. So what is spin, John? What is it to you? Spin to me is control or lack of control. So when I think about how much or how little the ball spins or how much I want it to spin or not spin throughout the bag, it changes my control of distance and trajectory. So for example, with wedges, you want more spin on the ball for it helps control the trajectory and distance of the shot and the stopping power on the green. Whereas as you get less and less loft, that starts to change. Obviously, the amount of spin you'd put on a six iron will be far less than you put on a wedge. 
But as we get through the bag towards the driver, well, now our goals change for that shot. You know, a good tee shot is when you could advance the ball as far as possible. We're not worried about distance control on most tee shots. So I don't want much spin on my driver. I want it to kind of be this high knuckleball that flies through the air without much resistance. If I had too much spin on my driver, then the ball is just going to climb, climb, climb in the air and not achieve the maximum distance. Whereas if I didn't have enough spin on my wedge, I start losing control. I can't hit a 50-yard wedge shot. It might go 70 yards. It might go 30 yards if I don't have spin. So I think the priorities change throughout the bag. But overall, I think of it as control over distance, trajectory, and, and just overall ball flight or lack thereof. That's how I kind of view it as a general thing. You're quite a low spin player, so your answer reflects that, I think, especially with the irons. I know when we played online and we were playing that course, which course was it? Like Sawgrass or something like that, but you having trouble holding the greens. And I know that is the case on these things, but they were really running through the greens. And so, yeah, spin for you is, is a big thing with irons. I mean, spin is the amount of revolutions that a ball has per minute, RPM, right? Revolutions per minute. It does degrade over time as well. People don't really talk about this much, but you know, when we measure spin with a launch monitor, we're talking about how much spin that ball has once it's launched from the face. So we're looking at that first foot of ball flight, but that ball is traveling in the air for a long time, five seconds or so before it hits the ground, sometimes more. And so by the time it hits the ground, that spin has degraded. So it might have launched with 10,000 RPMs, but by the time it hits the green, it might only have five. Do you know what? I don't actually know the actual degradation rates, but there are articles. I think Dave Tuttleman, so davetuttleman.com, type in spin degradation, and I'm sure he will have some good stuff on that. I know he's a, he's a great resource for all that kind of geeky information. Super fun website. I've been on that quite a few times. Yeah, it's really, really in-depth. I mean, he's an engineer, I believe, so it reflects that. But yeah, so the launch spin can be different to what is hit on the green. So, you know, a ball that we're pitching, if you hit a low pitch, that ball might actually end up with more spin once it hits the green than a seven iron that launches with the same spin because the seven iron's in the air for longer. So by the time it hits the green, a lot of that spin has been taken off it, but just a little nuance there. So what does it do, John? You mentioned a couple of things. Well, spin can be stopping power on the greens. I think you've got two choices with that. You could stop the ball or a mixture of both, I should say. You could stop the ball with spin or... I guess the proper term for it would be descent angle. So if you are someone who doesn't spin it as much like me, your other scenario would to be to get a more steeper descent angle so it stops on the green more versus if you were someone who generated a lot of spin, that ball's going to climb a bit. So you might have to launch it lower. So there's always this sliding scale, but in terms of wedge play and approach play, yeah, I mean, you mentioned like my issues with having low spin with irons. If I'm playing on firmer surfaces, that's more of a disadvantage to the style of play I have because I don't spin it as much. So I can't stop the ball on very firm surfaces as much as a player who spun it more because I'm going to have an issue with a less steep descent angle and less spin on the ball when it does reach the putting surface. So that's something I'm always cognizant of when I play. And they both go hand in hand. If you increase the spin rate, 
that increases the lift on the ball so you'll you'll reach a higher peak trajectory it's not a huge amount though it's not you'd have to significantly increase the spin to see a noticeably higher ball flight but it does lift the ball so it reaches a higher peak height it also causes a steeper land angle as well so there are lots of benefits to more spin in terms of stopping power that higher peak height the steeper land angle and then obviously the more spin once it hits the green to stop the ball whereas the reverse is true once you take off spin that ball is going to have more of a rainbow flight it's going to be landing at more of a bleak angle am i using the right word there? you know it's going to be coming in a little bit more rainbowy than straight down and so it's going to take a more forward bounce once it hits the green in combination with the lower spin that's going to create more run out so yeah spin creates a lot more stopping power the only disadvantage really is when we create more spin usually we're doing that by applying more spin loft which I'll go through what that is in a moment. Basically, you're probably going to be hitting a higher club and that's going to reduce the energy transferred into the ball. So the ball's not going to go as far. So the problem is, you know, you can create more spin by adding loft, but that ball's not going to reach the target then. So then you have to reduce the loft and you're back to square one. So it can be pretty tricky to increase the spin. I mean, there are ways of doing it and we'll go through all the technical stuff in a moment, but yeah, it changes lift, it changes the stopping angle changes the land the what i just say sorry i'm like <laughs> people could tell i'm on my first coffee right that steeper land angle there we go do you know what it does to distance well you got to think about our holy trinity of ball launch spin rate and launch angle so as i think about it you know with driver for example if you spin it too much you are not going to get as much distance all things being equal Whereas with an iron, I wouldn't tell someone not to spin it a lot, but that's one of the reasons why I hit my irons so far in comparison to other people with swing speeds is because I just have far less RPMs than most other golfers with my swing speed. So my irons tend to go longer because I don't spin it as much. So it does affect distance quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, you could say that the general rule is the lower the spin, the farther the ball will go. And that's almost true for all cases until you get to the extreme end of the bell curve in the lower spin rate. So I've got some examples here. If you launch a ball 18 degrees, which is pretty typical for a pro launching a, a seven iron, six iron, something like that. And you launch it with 130 mile an hour ball speed. So these are kind of pro launches for a seven iron. If you had 10,000 RPMs of spin, so that would be a really high spinning seven iron, it'd go 166 yards. If you drop that down to 3,000 spin, which is probably where you are, right, John? Maybe With the seven, seven iron? No, <laughs> no, I'm no? not that low. No, no, it no. It must be about four, though. Four, no, I'm maybe? like, if I'm, well, I've heard some, on a mat, an artificial turf mat, I'm probably around 4,500. I believe oh, I really? get more. Yeah, that's I don't not think too I, bad then. I couldn't play golf at 3,000. Come on, man. That's not, that's not too bad. <laughs> well, that's then. why I, I know. I think one of the, I mean, I'll just interject something quickly is that you always want to look for functionality on the golf course. So if I was playing golf and I just couldn't stop the ball in the greens at any point, then I'd have a major problem on my hands. I don't mean to exaggerate what happens to me on the course. It's more when the conditions really firm up that I might have a problem. But for the most part, I don't have an issue stopping the ball on most greens with my tendencies. It's really not that bad. And that's really with the help of Woody with making sure I have the right iron head and shaft combination to get the most 
possible spin that I can get for my tendencies and certainly equipment comes into it. But yeah, if you are overspinning it with your irons, I think that's a problem too, because then the ball can balloon on you, especially if you're into the wind. If you're playing in windy conditions, uh, spin is your enemy. Whereas, yeah, if you were hitting those low knuckleball rocket iron shots with no spin, you've got no control. You're going to be hitting the ball all over the place in terms of your front to back dispersion and distance control. So yeah, you really do want to avoid the extremes with this. Like every other topic we explore is that if you go too low, well, then you don't have distance control, I believe. And that's a big problem to have with your irons or wedges. Well, yeah, you might get more random outcomes Absolutely. from the bounce and the roll. The actual carry distance will be the same though. As long as the spin is consistent and all the other launch conditions are consistent, you'll get consistent carry distances it's just what happens once it hits the green might be a bit more random but yeah you get lower oh so you get higher distances the lower the spin you go so in that example you know the pro launches at 18 degrees 130 mile an hour ball speed at 10,000 rpms they're hitting at 166 yards if you drop it down to 3,000 rpms they hit it 204 yards so that is 40 yards farther by dropping down 7,000 RPMs. Now that is super extreme, Very extreme ends of the scale. Yeah, but you know, some, you'd fall somewhere in between. But that just goes to show how spin alone, a change in spin alone will change the distance. In fact, if you drop the spin down to 1,000, which is not going to happen, but if you were, you'd be able to get 210 yards out of it. So there's not a, a huge jump now. And then once you go below 1,000, I don't know where the cutoff point is because I haven't been able to simulate it because it's pretty impossible to get below that you can't play golf <laughs> yeah but there is a point where you drop below a thousand rpms and then there's a distance drop off so it's not a pure linear less spin equals more distance there is a cutoff point at some point there and that cutoff point becomes higher the lower you launch it. So what do I mean by that? Basically, if you're thinking, this is probably easier to think about with a driver. I launch the ball incredibly high with a driver. My launch angle is 18 degrees. Have you ever had yours measured, John? Yeah, it's always, mine is very consistently between 12 to 15. That's my window. Yeah, most people will consider that high as well, 12 to 15. So when they see my ball flight, they're like, whoa, everybody always asks me, what yeah, loft have you got on that club? Shot, especially for someone who has higher than average swing speed. Yeah, but I'm doing it through my special, in air quotes, technique. I use like a long driver technique, so I'm set up behind it, hitting up on it extremely. But yeah, the first thing people ask me when they see my launch angle is, what loft is on your driver? And then I show them, and they go... That's seven degrees. How are you doing that? <laughs> but anyway, to put it where I want to go is I launch it very, very high with the driver. So I can get away with lower spins. In fact, lower spins around about 1700 RPMs is where my optimal is. That's where I get the, some of the longest shots. Whereas if someone launched it lower and even lower than yourself, John, so if someone launched it maybe eight degrees, and there are lots of people who do this, if you launch at 8 degrees, your optimal spin might be higher. It might be closer to maybe 2,800 RPMs to achieve distance. So the lower you launch it, your optimal spin rate to maximize distance might be higher or lower, depending on whether you launch it higher or lower. It's reverse, basically. The higher you launch it, the lower you can spin it and the opposite. Yeah, it needs 
spin is like, I don't want to call it, I think ball speed is really the fuel. So for someone like you who can launch it so high with so little spin, you also need enough ball speed to keep it in the air, to have enough force because if it doesn't have spin and not enough ball speed, it will just kind of fall out of the sky. Whereas, as you said, a good rule of thumb for any golfer is if you are someone who launches it lower, generally speaking, you need more spin to help the ball lift up in the air. And if you don't have that enough spin rate, that's not a good matchup for someone who launched it seven or eight degrees with the driver. I think we've mentioned Cam Champ on the show a few times in his matchups. He's one of the fastest swingers on the PGA Tour, but he also launches it very low, like six, seven, eight degrees. And because of that, his spin rate, I think it's been measured at like 2,800, 3,000, which is very high for a tour player, but he needs that because the ball's coming off the club so low. I apologize if those numbers aren't exact, but the overall point I'm trying to make stands is that you know, if you are someone who removes loft or launches the ball very low, you need more spin to get it up in the air or else it's just not going anywhere. It doesn't have any lift. And the other part of that equation as well is ball speed. So as you mentioned, if you have a very high ball speed, you can then get away with lower spins again. Whereas most people aren't launching it. Was Cam Champ launching it? Probably close to 190 mile an hour ball speed. Yeah, right? that's his most ball speed. amateurs aren't doing that. So the lower your ball speed, you might need some more spin as well. So, you know, there's all these factors go into the mix. And you can get a situation like Cam Champ launches it low, but he has a ton of ball speed. So, you know, he has a higher spin rate than normal tour players, but he doesn't need 3,000 RPMs or 3,500 to reach his... No, he could still hit it 300 if he had 2,000 RPMs. That's just... It's optimal for him and he can get away with it. But, you know, for normal golfers, you know, we probably talked about it on several other episodes with their tendencies. There's a lot of golfers with slower swing speeds who launch it low and they're just not getting much out of their drives because they don't have the ball speed to counteract that. Well, that's it. That's a double whammy then. If they're launching it low and they have low ball speed, they're going to need a lot of spin yep. to achieve up in the to achieve their well, yeah, I mean just yeah, just to keep it floating a little bit and get more carry distance out of it. So, but luckily, I mean most of the things that you would do to, for that player is you just jack up the loft on it. You'd give them a higher lofted club and that actually increases their launch as well. So you get two benefits and increases their launch and their spin. Now, in that case, that's not optimal for the player in terms of if they said, I want to change my technique to achieve more distance, we'd get them launching it higher through technique. And so their low spin would actually then become an advantage for them. So, you know, that's the first way I would go as an instructor. If I was a club fitter, I would just jack up their loft and you'd achieve decent results, but they wouldn't be optimal. Whereas as an instructor, I would say, right, let's get your technique different so you're launching it higher and that's going to give you more optimal distance numbers. Yeah, it depends on the player. And we talked about the nuance with club fitting with Woody on our driver episode and other ones. But yeah, I think for some players, getting them to hit more up on it, so that would add a higher launch angle without affecting the spin much. You wouldn't have to jack up the loft. That would solve that problem without changing the spin rate. And then some people do need more loft and more spin. So that could be the appropriate answer is just you need more loft on your driver. And a lot of golfers assume that, oh, if I set my driver at eight degrees, I'm going to hit the ball farther. 
a lot of the times they're wrong. They probably need it set closer to like 10 or 11 degrees because they need more loft and more spin on the ball. It really depends in this game. The discussion about spin is always this sliding scale between launch angle, ball speed, and making sure all three of those numbers are within a functional range to achieve a decent ball flight. Not every golfer has to get it perfect, but if you're at the opposite ends of that extreme, if you're the golfer who's launching it low with not enough ball speed and not enough spin, you're missing out on 30, 40, 50 yards of distance in a lot of cases. Yeah, so to summarize that, if you do launch it lower, if you do have a lower ball speed, you'll probably need a slightly higher spin rate, definitely higher spin rate than me. And the reverse is true if you're like myself, launches it higher, has decent ball speed, you're going to need a lower spin rate to achieve your maximum distances. Should we tell, did you play around on that FlightScope tool? Is that where you were getting some of those numbers? I know FlightScope has that tool on their website where you can mess around with like launch angle and all those things and see projected ball flights. I've just got tables on it and I sometimes look at the ping table. Yeah, the ping table is very enough, good. Yeah, I've seen enough and experimented enough on the launch monitors to see how it affects it and see where the optimal numbers are. Yeah, if someone is curious, you can go on the FlightScope website. They do have a simulator where you can plug in some different variables. I don't think everyone should do this, but if you like numbers and you like to mess around with it, it can help your intuitive understanding of how all these things work together and then there's the ping charts the track man charts and of course if you hit a million balls on a on a launch monitor you kind of figure these things out on your own over time what does spin do to direction then john this is this is an interesting one so i'm interested to see what you think so you're saying does more backspin create more left to right dispersion is that where you're leading me down yeah yeah how does it affect direction more spin does it make it straighter or more offline I would assume that I think if you played golf with a lot more spin, more than you need, you might struggle more directionally. That's my guess, but I think you know the actual answer to that. Yeah, it is nuanced. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's a law, but I would venture that the golfers who spin it way too much have more directional issues than the ones who are more optimized or on the lower scale of the spin. So if the spin axis is tilted, so think of a ball spinning back. If it has pure backspin, right, so it's just spinning on an axis that's straight in line with the target, then an increased spin will just keep it more online. It, it won't go offline. Whereas if that spin is tilted, if the axis is tilted to the right or to the left... Which most golfers are dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> then an increase in spin is going to make the ball go more offline. Because the reason why a ball curves is because of that side spin in air quotes or the tilted spin axis. So yeah, if you had a Bellata ball, that ball is gonna go more offline as a percentage of its total distance. So say you hit a Bellata ball 200 yards and you hit one of these modern lower spinning balls 200 yards with the exact same technique, the Bellata ball would go more offline for any tilt to the spin axis. So yeah, increasing spin makes it go more offline. However, the caveat to all this, some of the things that increase spin make the ball go straighter. <laughs> so this is where people's brains are going to be a bit fried. So you might have to click the rewind 30 seconds on this or just click the but, stop button and leave us be like i'm done with these guys yeah. sorry guys sorry <laughs> so the easiest example of this is hitting a seven iron versus a wedge which one goes straighter a wedge right a wedge well it's goes got more loft so i think it's less opportunity for this left to right shot pattern 
Yeah, but there's more spin with the wedge as yes, well. So that goes、is. against that rule of more spin makes it go more offline. So I see sometimes I'm floating around on、uh, yeah, Facebook groups and Instagram, too, right? So there's more less opportunity. Even if the ball speed was the same, so say you had Bryson DeChambeau hitting、yeah, a sandwich, irons, yeah, and you had me hitting a seven iron, so it's probably going about the same distance, right? Bryson sandwich and my seven iron, it would be easier for Bryson to keep it more online. Even if he presented the face more open or closed, or same amount of open and closed, so for any given face and path error, which would create offline directions, a higher lofted club is going to go straighter. And the reason why, even though it increases the spin, it causes the spin axis to be more neutral as well. Okay, so that makes the ball go straighter. And you, if you go the other end of the extreme, so down to a driver, the reason why a driver goes more offline is a couple of reasons. But one of them is because a driver has so little loft, so little spin loft, that it tilts the spin axis more. Doesn't create more spin, you know. Drivers spin it lower; they spin it a hell of a lot lower than a wedge. So it doesn't create more spin, but it tilts the spin axis more, and that causes the ball to go offline. And combine that with the increase in distance, and then, you know, that's why a driver is much harder to keep on the fairway than a wedge or a seven iron is. Yeah, I think a lot of golfers notice that through their bag, probably that. You know, if you hit a sand wedge, you can't hook it or slice it <laughs> as nearly offline as your driver. And I think it also summarizes like one of the challenges of golf as you go through the bag. So as loft increases, it becomes more of a game of distance control from front to back. And as you get closer to the driver, well, now you're worried about the width of your dispersion more. Are you keeping the ball in play and avoiding the penalty areas and the trees and all that bad stuff? Whereas, you know, most golfers their struggle with a sand wedge and eight iron, something like that. It's can we control the distance to our target versus how far offline you're going to hit it? That's generally how the challenge of this game changes throughout the bag and why your strategy needs to be adjusted. But That's kind of an interesting explanation of arriving at that challenge of golf of, of the physics of it. Well, on that topic of lateral dispersion, so when you're looking at the driver, right? Say someone's spinning it too high and they want to spin it lower. There's a few things we can tweak. We could change their loft, and that would make them spin it lower. We could also change the ball. We could go to a lower spinning ball. Now, if you change the loft for that player, they'd achieve the lower spin, but they'd hit it more offline. As well, because a lower spin loft is going to hit it more offline, all else being equal. Whereas if you lowered the spin of the ball, you know, you just get a lower spinning ball. That would actually make the ball go straighter. So it's really weird. So you can get two things that lower the spin, and they do different things to the outcome. So I would rather, if someone needs a lower spinning shot, the first thing I would try to go to is、uh, changing the ball and get to a lower spinning ball. After that point, we may, if needed, try to lower or reduce the loft. But there's that, yeah. When you're reducing the loft, there's that trade-off, and I'm willing to accept that trade-off. You know, I've gone to a seven-degree driver head, and I'm willing to accept that I can hit it a little bit farther with that seven-degree head, but I'll also hit it a little bit more offline for any given technique variations. Always、Have、a trade-off. Blown your mind? No, I mean that really <laughs> is the what of like looking at it. From the top, like that is the trade-off of golf: the distance and dispersion, especially with tee shots. 
you know, that's why working, you know, we've done the episodes of Woody on club fitting. And in terms of golf balls, I did have that on my notes here. Like I totally underestimated what a golf ball can do in terms of how much it changes your spin. And we're definitely going to have the guys from Ballnamic, uh, Marty Jertson and Chris Brody on for a separate episode on all the research they've done on golf balls. Because, you know, most modern, you know, premium urethane three-piece golf balls, they do what you want them to do. They don't spin a lot with the driver. They spin more around the greens. You get everything you want versus 40 years ago, you couldn't do that. But one or the other. Yeah, it was one or the other. But there are still nuances if you have certain tendencies of your swing. And the research has shown this. I've seen a lot of the data they've released. You know, the spin on a seven iron can change by 500 to 1,000 RPMs. If you're playing in the wind a lot, they've noticed golf balls perform differently because of the dimple design. So we're definitely going to have a whole separate episode on that. But for sure, the type of golf ball you're playing can affect the spin on certain clubs in your bag more than another. And that's not something maybe we think about or notice a lot, but it is there. We are going to take a quick break there and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Linkswear. They just released their new Lux G shoes, which is their first big release of 2024 and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonderlux midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Lux G is also fully waterproof with a two-year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot, an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off the Lux G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code SWEETSPOT. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code SWEETSPOT, that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes. 
so yeah i mean i just wanted to clear up because i see some comments online where people are saying oh the ball will go straighter if you spin it less and other people will go oh the ball will go straighter if you spin it more and both can be right <laughs> both yeah. people can be right depends on how and why you're doing it and that's one of the arguments i think of the modern game is that when you did play with baladas as that that scenario we're speaking about before were it could spin offline more with a ballata because they did spin so much back then versus now where I don't know what the spin rate on a driver was in the eighties and nineties. I did play with ballatas briefly when I was a kid. I mean, maybe it was like 4,000, whereas now your driver spins like 2000. So yeah. it doesn't and that affected the techniques as well. If you oh look yeah. At the older guys, yeah. they used to launch it lower absolutely because that ball spun so high. So if you launch it high with high spin, you actually lose distance. Forget it. So yeah. their techniques evolve. So yeah, when you look back at like Hogan's era and everybody's trying to copy Hogan's swing, you have to remember they were using different equipment back in those days, and their swings reflected that equipment. I still don't remember. I remember very specifically when I switched from. I used to play balladas and then I played like the, what was it, the Titleist DT, the wound balls. And then when the Pro V1 came out, I don't remember automatically having amazing control over the golf ball. My scores didn't drop at all. I remember when I first played the Pro V1, I thought something special was going to happen, but I was still hitting pretty crappy shots that were spinning offline quite a bit still. So I think for the pros, it made a lot of difference because as you said, it, it changed what was rewarded with technique. Whereas now we're trying to hit up on the ball with our driver, spin it less and hit it as hard as possible. Whereas before you just, you couldn't do that with a ballata. So, but for the average 15 handicap, I don't think it like totally changed the game overnight, but that's a whole separate debate. Yeah. My technique, my current driver technique would not work with a ballata ball so well. I'd have to evolve it and hit less up on it. But should we go into the influences? What creates spin? What increases it, decreases it? Yeah, I think that's what We've is done very, a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's valuable to understand. I mean, I think the solution is mostly simple, and it's what we talk about in most episodes, but why don't you start us off? Well, we've got the ball we've talked about, the ball itself. One thing I've made a note on here, softer balls don't always spin more. I think that's the prevailing wisdom that, oh, if you get a softer ball, it'll spin more. That's not the case. In fact, I think my golf spy did something recently and they found the opposite in most cases. I mean, there are lots of factors that go into how a ball spins, the core, the cover of it, the compression. So yeah, it's quite nuanced there. But if it says on the back of the the golf ball box that this is the highest spinning ball in their range of golf balls then that's going to be the highest spinning ball unfortunately if you does it frustrate you as well when you read a, the back of a golf ball box and it says this is a really long ball and a really high spinning ball and you pick up their next in the line and they say this is also a really yeah, long ball this is a, and i say well which one do i get then that's <laughs> just, why i've kind of thrown everything i thought about golf balls out the window <laughs> just you know for a lot of people i would say like if you want a good performing golf Ball, buy a premium golf ball, especially if you want it to spin well with your wedges around the greens. Like you're going to need a urethane golf ball that has uh, three pieces or four pieces versus the Serlin ball, which is only two pieces. It's just not going to perform the same around the greens. But yeah, there's been a lot of nuances because when you just test with launch monitors indoors, you do not get enough data. I tried doing those tests and I thought I figured it out. But, you know, as the ping guys said on one of their episodes, like they're outside measuring the full trajectory of the ball flight. There's a lot more going on than we ever thought. So 
yeah i'm, I'm very excited design. yeah i'm very excited to do that episode with them because they have some really cool data i think the big takeaway is find a ball that's right for you and stick with it versus playing like seven different balls but yeah it's annoying when you go through like titleist catalog and you're looking at the avx and the pro v1 the pro v1x and you're like what the hell does this even mean like all of them do the same thing right all <laughs> of like, them go long all yeah. of them spin the perfect amount for you it's, i just wish they were more honest with their marketing not titleist in particular i think yeah, actually I mean, titleist are pretty good with their, their marketing but you know you see this ball is 10 out of 10 for distance 10 out of 10 for accuracy and then 11 out of 10 for spin yeah it's far more nuanced than that same with like equipment like when they say oh this is a low spinning shaft that's just not true like woody has said that a million times like it might be for certain players but for other players it might not reduce the spin it really depends there's so much nuance in there well, there we are. We've covered another one there. Yeah. So the club, the equipment, as you said, so nuanced that we've got full episodes on that. But yes, the shaft that you have, the head design, that can influence the spin rate as well. The center of gravity, the loft. Like I've done so many experiments with Woody with different driver heads, with different lofts, and you just get all different kinds of numbers. Like there's no, you know, he's always, every time I ask that question of Woody on our episodes, well, what's a rule of thumb? He's always like, stop it <laughs> because there just isn't. And, you know, we'll get to like strike and ground contact. I think for the most part, if you take care of the big stuff in impact fundamentals, you're going to get functional numbers. But to give yourself the best chance of getting the functional numbers, like, yes, playing the right golf ball and the right equipment absolutely has an influence on spin. Well, here's something that does have a rule to it. The more club speed you have, all else being equal, the more spin is generated. So it's very easy for a tour player to generate high spins. In fact, most of their technique, when you see these tour players leaning the shaft forwards to reduce the loft, lots of their techniques are actually trying to take spin off because they've got so much already. They've got so much speed. Whereas when you look at, say, a junior player or even some of the lady tour players with lower swing speeds, they're using techniques that are maybe a little bit more flippy and scoopy because they're trying to add loft because they don't have the speed. So they're trying to generate spin through their technique rather than speed. So that's why you, you gotta look at these players. You don't try and lump everybody into the same technique. You know, I made this mistake early in my teaching career. I would teach certain ladies and juniors to be in certain impact positions that look pro-esque. And we were using like Tiger Woods as the model. And I quickly found that when I made their positions look great, they didn't hit functional ball flights. The ball came out too low didn't spin enough and it just had so much roll it wasn't functional so this is why if you see a lady a junior a senior anybody with slower swing speeds generally i shouldn't say that because there are lots of ladies with very high swing speeds but if you see a lower swing speed player with a slightly scoopier technique that might not be the worst thing for them depends what end of the bell curve they're on obviously yeah i think if you look at the freeze frame images of all the great ball strikers of all time. Their hands are ahead at impact. They are forward shaft leaning, more compression, launching the ball lower. It's a, you know, tried and true formula that a lot of people try and emulate. But as you said, you know, for someone who could swing their seven iron 95 miles an hour, that works because they got plenty of speed and spin no matter what. But if you take that normal golfer, then they probably need to deliver the shaft in a more neutral position. I'd always try and avoid that 
hands behind the ball at impact because now you're adding too much loft and a lot of other things are going to go wrong. You're going to be hitting the ball in many other directions. So like everything else, it's a sliding scale. You know, I de-loft a lot. I definitely de-loft my irons a bit, but I have the ball speed to work with that. Whereas I have a friend who listens to this show. His name is Ryan. He was showing me some images of his swing and he was working with his instructor and his hands were just so far behind the ball. I'm like that. I mean, I'm like, you have to fix that with your instructor. And he has, he's delivering it in a more neutral position now and his ball flight has improved dramatically. But yeah, there's a sliding scale there, but you can get away with a lot more when you have more swing speed. That's for sure. I did a golf WRX article probably about seven years ago now. I got absolutely slated for it, where I even used launch monitor data for this. You can tell I'm salty, right? You know, I made swings with a low swing speed. Swing speeds that I do see on the lesson tee, so they weren't unrealistic. I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was about 65 mile an hour with a seven iron. So, you know, these are kind of senior players, maybe juniors. And I got into pro-like positions or pro-like shaft lean. In other words, I launched the ball about 17 degrees and we measured the distance. And then I did a more scoopy technique. I still struck the ball well. So, I, you know, it wasn't shaft leaning backwards at impact, but it was less forward leaning. And I launched the ball maybe about 21 degrees or something. And the ball was spinning a little higher as well. And the ball went farther as a result and it stopped quicker and looking at it as well the peak height was just ridiculously low with the pro technique so pro technique plus low speed is just a non-functional ball flight and so I said to people that's why when you see players scooping it's not always the worst thing for them and their technique is probably reflecting what they're visualizing Yeah, they're trying to help the ball into the air, literally. (laughs) Yeah, so I think I titled it, Why You Want to Scoop It. And I wasn't trying to say to everybody, everybody needs to try and scoop it more. But for some people, they do. Or for some people, they want to scoop it because they want to see a certain ball flight. They want to see that ball fly up and land on the green and stop. And so that's why their technique is reflecting that. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. People didn't like it because it went against the, you know, lean the shaft forwards as much as you can mantra. But I think more people are certainly, I've seen more teachers realize this now and understand the differences that when you don't have a lot of swing speed your technique might need to reflect that a little bit what else causes spin john or did you have any notes on that no i think that's always good to bring up shaft lean because there is no right answer same with like grip technique and all that stuff it's always a sliding scale in golf and hopefully we can give you some nuance to the options you have so more speed equals more spin what else do we have I mean, for me, a lot of it, especially with how much work I've done on my launch monitor and measuring my impact location, you know, a lot of it is taken care of by good contact, you know, whether it's driver, wedge, seven iron, strike solves a lot in terms of delivering the appropriate or at least close to the appropriate amount of spin to the golf ball. And if you can't strike the center of the face, then you have different types of problems based on what club you're hitting. You know, with driver, we're, we're worrying more about gear effect. And with wedges, you're just not getting enough spin or stopping power on it. That's when you start hitting those bladers that go right through the green. So my mind goes to impact quite quickly with spin rate. Yeah, I mean, with wedges, you've got to increase friction 
to increase spin and that's just ball first contact is going to be the biggest one of that if you hit an inch behind you're going to get a lot of grass and mud and debris trapped between the ball and the club face and that's going to reduce friction which will reduce spin so the, one of the reasons why pros spin their wedges so much is because they're constantly getting that crisp ball then turf contact and when you combine that with perfect lies you know they're playing on pristine manicured fairways then that really helps increase the spin as well the vertical strike on the face this is an interesting one lots of people say that low strikes on the face increase spin it does with which club though are we saying for that? different reasons yeah. yeah well with an iron the reason why that might be the case is because of the cleaner contact if you strike high on the face of the wedge you've basically struck it fat to a certain extent so high strikes on the face with a wedge or iron, you've basically struck it fat. And so the high strike itself is not creating the low spin. It's the fact that you've struck it fat and there's gonna be more grass between the club face. So that's why sometimes when people hit that thin shot and they get thin spin, it's not the fact that they've hit it low on the face that's created the high spin. It's the fact that they've caught it cleaner when they hit it low on the face. They haven't got any grass trap between it. So that's why that happens. It's not because of gear effect. Yeah, there really is no, I should amend my earlier statement. I, I, I meant contact. I should have said impact location with the influence of ground contact, especially with irons and wedges. Obviously, we're not worrying about that with the driver and our tee shot clubs. But yeah, I think Woody was the one who told me that years ago that they always thought gear effect maybe on irons if you struck it lower would spin it more but i think it was probably ping who figured out it was more so the contact issue was cleaner and it just spun the ball more because you nipped it right off the lie much cleaner because there really is no major gear effect with irons because the center of gravity is so close to the face correct yeah basically the thinner the club head the less gear effect i mean there might be a tiny yeah but not enough to yeah not enough yeah it's not like a driver. So yeah, with a driver, we have the opposite reasons for changing in spin. So there's no friction issues. You're not going to get debris trapped between the ball and the face. At least I'd hope not with a driver <laughs> because it's teed up. However, with a driver, when we increase or decrease spin from high or low strikes in the face, that's because of gear effect. And the rule is, it's an opposing rule, the lower we strike on the face, it tends to increase the spin. And the higher we strike on the face, it tends to decrease the spin, obviously until you reach extreme boundaries on that. And then it can be a bit more chaotic if you're topping it or moonballing it, you know, hitting the crown of the face. Things are going to change around there. Also, another great find on the Tuttleman site. He has some cool pictures and explanation of a vertical and horizontal gear effect. Okay. Anything you want to share? No, it's just, I think if people want to see some visuals of that, the Tuttleman site that you mentioned earlier is very good for that as well, because we probably mentioned this in our driver episode is that I really don't think anyone should be aspiring to access the lower portion of the face with their driver just because it lowers launch and increases spin, which is bad for distance. Or as you get towards the center or just above the center, then you start adding a little bit more loft and decreasing spin. And that's generally a very good recipe for distance off the tee. Yeah, I don't think I'd intentionally tell anybody to hit lower on the face. I did see something the other day. Someone said it, it was a good fairway finder, and that might be true in a certain extent. It increases the spin in a way that doesn't make it go more offline. However, if you were trying to do that, I'd rather someone just go to a three-wood. Yeah, well, you're also... <laughs> that's an easy way of changing the well, spin. it goes into a strokes gain discussion because... 
When you do that, you're making the decision, you're giving up distance now and distance costs strokes as well. So you have to prove to yourself the combination between loss of distance or potentially the narrowing of your dispersion. Can you prove to yourself that you're avoiding more trouble with that where it's worth the trade-off in less distance? So again, another can of worms, but I don't think anyone should aspire to hit the bottom part of their driver face. I just think it's not a good idea for most golfers. Yeah, I wouldn't try it. What about lateral? Do you know how lateral affects spin rate? So toe and heel? I mean, anecdotally, just hitting a ton of iron shots, I know my spin rates are much lower when I heel it or or toe it. Mostly a heel for me versus if I struck it closer to the sweet spot or the center of gravity. Okay. That might be might be just down to reduction in ball speed, perhaps. Yeah, so less maybe. energy just getting transferred into the ball. But with a driver, it's... Well, not, I'm talking about more, irons, not driver. Yeah. With a driver, there's more of a rule to it. So with a driver, if you hit the heel, that tends to increase the spin. So both low and or heel strikes tend to increase the spin rate. And then higher or more toe bias strikes tend to decrease the spin rate. That's why I tend to see, I'd say 95% of cases, I would see that on the launch monitor with players across the board. There are extreme examples. If you go too far outside of the center, it can start to get a little weird. But generally, you know, if someone hits a really nice rainbow ball flight with their driver that you know is going a mile, whenever I look down, it's usually a little high and a little toe. Yeah, I think if I'm looking at my driver on my launch monitor, my typical good spin rate for me is like 21, 2200 when I'm striking it well. And if I heal it, especially low heel, it could go up to like 2800, 3000. And then if you said like a high toe, you know, sky ball, knuckleball could be like 17 or 1800. So sometimes that actually can work out okay. But the low healer is not looking for that one because it increases spin, decreases ball speed, and I'm going to lose it offline more. I mean, it's significant. I can see spins double. Yeah, it's off. huge. If you go low heel to high toe, the difference between those, it could be like 3,500 RPMs versus 1,700 or even lower, yeah, even at my level. So they're not really, really extreme strikes. So yeah, it can be very significant. And that's, if I'm ever spinning it high, which I personally don't like with a driver for myself, if I'm ever spinning it high, the first thing I look at is where did I strike it? And if it's too much, even if it's too much towards the center, I like to hit it a little bit high, a little bit toe, about five millimeters for each if you guys have a a quad or something that measures it. And so that gives me the best spin rate. I, I like to see that. So yeah, toe heel changes spin rate, high low changes spin rate. The most basic one that we haven't covered yet is spin loft. Do you know what spin loft means? Would it be the combination of like launch angle and I'm forgetting the two off the top of my head. I'm always thinking back to the TrackMan site. I can't think of the exact definition off my head, but I know too much spin loft is a distance killer, correct? Yeah. I mean, to change spin loft effectively, you can just change club. So yeah. If you, you're if you you're just reduce loft. Nine, yeah. Yeah. If you go to, from a seven iron to a wedge, you've increased spin loft. So spin loft is loft at impact. And the angle of attack as well. It's the combination of those two. So how is the club moving vertically? Are you hitting more down or more level on it or even more up? And then that combined with the loft you're presenting. And so the lower the spin loft, you'll increase ball speed and you'll reduce spin. 
as well. Or we could say the opposite. The higher the spin loft, the higher the spin, all else being equal. The easiest way to change spin loft is to change club. Although there are some things technically we can do to change spin loft as well. Yeah, I mean, I just think of that intuitively. Like when I talk to people about when they play in the wind, you know, if people are trying to like do a punch shot versus just take more club, I'm like, just take more club. That solves the problem. Like if you're hitting into a headwind and your goal if you're hitting into the wind is to lower the launch and decrease the spin because the more launch angle and the more spin you put on the ball, it's going to balloon on you. And through the years, like many people, I've experimented with like a punch shot, which is where you're actively trying to deal off the club with your hands and stuff or perhaps hit down on it more. I think a lot of people will get into the angle of attack thing, but I've just found for most people, don't try and change your technique, just choose a lower lofted club that solves the problem on its own it, it lowers the launch angle and the spin rate yeah i'd say that's the easiest option just to lower the club that does reduce spin loft so you're getting a lower launch from the lower loft and you're getting a lower spin loft the only issue with that is you might create more tilting of the spin axis because again the way it, that way of reducing the spin loft by changing clubs also reduces spin loft and it increases the side to side spin or the tilting of the spin axis. So you, you might hit it more offline. A punch potentially can stay straighter, but you're obviously having to use a different technique. So yeah, some... it's always the trade-off between what are you getting versus what are you giving up? And I think for most golfers, that change in technique, their strike, ground contact, everything will suffer so much trying a shot that they're all not that all good at versus just a stock swing. I think they'd have a better chance of striking it well and better ground contact. That's just one example of it. But anyway, let's continue with the spin loft discussion. Yeah, so a punch shot, effectively, you're keeping a similar spin loft. You're just tilting everything down. So there's going to be a similar amount of spin coming out with a punch shot, but you're launching it lower, and that's what keeps it under the wind in that example. And so it might stay a little straighter with that, but then it's just this trade-off, isn't it? It's like can you produce that technique <laughs> and how straight is it versus is it just easier to change club? And so for most people, yeah, changing club is the easier option. So yeah, I mean, spin loft, you've basically got changing club is, is the way of doing it. I'll go through a little how to change spin loft in a moment. We're still going through the influences. So what affects friction, do you know? I mean, as I understand it with, especially with wedge play, it's the combination of reducing the amount of interaction between the grass and the club face or any type of debris. So striking the ball first and then the turf certainly gets you the most friction and spin versus like if you're in the rough, you cannot create as much clean contact between the golf ball and the club face. You've got grass trapped between it and whatever else is in there, perhaps some dirt. So you cannot create the same amount of friction so your control and your spin rate will decrease out of the rough. That's why we get flyers. That's why it's harder to stop the ball on the green when you're green side in the rough. That's how I like to think about it. Yeah. So that ball first contact is going to be a huge thing. Or moisture. If you can't. <laughs> or moisture, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why hitting out of the rough creates that longer shot sometimes, the flyer. Obviously, when you're hitting out of semi-rough, you don't get a huge drop in ball speed because the grass is not long enough. So you still keep the same ball speed, but usually the friction is reduced because that grass is long enough to get trapped between the ball and the face. And so that reduces the spin rate. 
So you end up with this ball that's coming out at the same speed, but now has lower spin, and it can actually end up going farther. So that's what we call a flyer in the industry. So yeah, it's just something to be aware of. But yeah, quality ball first contact, clean grooves as well. So we can't always get quality ball first contact. So if you don't have that, or if the, if the ball is wet, for example, having grooves, grooves themselves lots of people think they bite into the ball i think there may be a slight truth to that but i think the biggest reasons why grooves help keep consistent spin rates is because it channels all the debris out of the way especially moisture so yeah foreign objects we could have the reverse as well we could have sand on the club face which can increase friction from what i've seen yeah i believe i'm sure the ping guys will tell me i'm wrong here but yeah i think sand increases friction especially on maybe short shots that's why that's why gary 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 player Player. gary player used to was one of the best bunker players ever he would never clean his club out of the bunker he'd leave the sand on the face apparently because he yeah he knew knew it increased the spin I do that because of Gary Player, yeah, so thank you, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't know whether it actually works. But yeah, if you had something on the face that increased friction, it would increase spin. The ball itself, you know, you've got different covers. They can increase friction. That's why one of the reasons why some balls spin more or less. Water is weird. I don't know if you remember with our conversation with Marty, but... It's not out yet, technically. I think this episode will premiere before that, but I remember about their discussion on moisture for iron play and wedges that had like a different effect than you'd expect yeah i think when you get higher spin lofts or higher lofts like wedges and maybe slower swing speeds as well water is going to act a little bit more differently it, it tends to reduce spin whereas when you start it might have something to do with hitting water harder you know that thing where if you hit water really hard it, it acts like concrete yep the well, elasticity with a driver, Maybe it's something to do with that. Maybe it's something to do with the spin loft differences. But with a driver, having water on the face has actually been shown to increase spin rate in some cases. It's weird. I mean, anecdotally, I would say it's decreased it. In my personal experience, I get more of those balls that drop out of the air. You know, those dive bombing balls. I get more of that when you've got a light rain. So I, I don't know. Anecdotally, I'd say the opposite. But maybe water just acts chaotically when we have high speed and reduced spin loft. So yeah, it's a weird one, water. I would say for most cases with irons, you're going to be looking at reducing spin rate. Yeah, I think one of the the takeaways with like the friction, especially when it comes to wedges, and you can go back to our episode with Woody on the wedge fitting, Wedges are the only club in your bag that will truly wear out. So you do want to be cognizant of how old they are. You know, if you go past 50, 60, 70 rounds, it always, there's no rule of thumb. But what happens is, is on the clean strike. So if you're hitting off the fairway, that wedge will still spin mostly the same. But it's like when you go to the rough and there's more debris trapped, now it's going to have a harder time applying spin. Woody has a great analogy where he said it's like losing tread on a tire. If you're driving on a normal road, you're going to be totally fine. But when the road starts getting slick and your tires are older and the tread on the tire isn't as fresh, then you might have that instance where the car starts slipping. So yeah, people asked on Twitter, like, how do I get those spinny wedge shots around the green? Fresh grooves, premium golf ball, a nicely manicured fairway and green that plays a lot of it. And people don't play golf courses that are manicured nicely enough to have those one hop stoppers. So don't aspire for those, but, and also keep the face of your clubs clean. 
remove as much moisture, remove as much dirt and debris, clean your wedge and your irons every time because if you step up with a wet or dirty club face, now you're removing the wedge or iron's ability to do what it's designed to do. So that's all my me vomiting out all my friction thoughts around the greens and wedges. And yeah, the course quality is going to make a difference as well. If people have ever gone onto a course just after a tour event has been played, they'll know that, wow, these are different conditions. Uh, obviously, the green quality is different, so the greens can be more receptive sometimes. I mean, I've, I've seen situations where they're not. You know, if something's set up for a US Open or something like that, they can be really hard and bouncy and difficult to stop. Yeah, the ball on. can't grab on a dry, firm green. Yeah, but generally, the you know, if the grass has been freshly cut, the green's been freshly cut, that's going to allow that spin to take more effect once the ball hits it. But turf quality, what you're hitting from as well, you know, if you've got a nice lie where the ball is sitting up perfectly and there's a nice little cushion of grass beneath it and there's no grass behind it, so... You know, think of grass that's kind of like the bristles on a broom or something like that. I've played courses like that. Those are perfect for spin because you get the perfect ball first contact. There's no debris behind it. But also, this is an interesting thing. When the club is in contact with the ball, the club is descending more because of that cushion underneath it. Now, think about the opposite, right, where... The opposite would be on a lie board. If you've ever been on one of those hard plastic, what was it, plexiglass or something, a lie board to check your lie angle. And the club actually bounces off that. If you hit slightly behind it, it's going to bounce up. And so think about the dynamics of what's happening through impact. You could be applying the exact same loft, but is that club moving more down through the soft grass? Or is it bouncing up off a hard pan? That's going to produce different spin loft effectively, a different angle of attack. And so whenever I fit on a, a lie angle board or lie board, you get horrible spin rates off that. The spin rates are incredibly low because of that bouncing up effect. And that's one of the reasons why range mats tend to produce lower spin rates as well. And you may hit different distances then. So when people are hitting off range mats and getting their yardages, you may hit a different. You may hit a different yardage to what you would hit off a tee or a nice, pristine, manicured fairway. Yeah, I think we were, someone was having this discussion on Twitter the other day about that. And I think I've lived through this because I have those lower spin rates on the mats. Not horrible, but getting into dangerous territory. But when I play golf, I know I'm spinning the ball more because I'm not having issues stopping it on most greens. And I'm not hitting it as far. So I can hit my seven iron like 180, 185 on a range mat. I can't hit it that far on the golf course, probably because of the ground contact issue. But I also think it's because of the spin rate issue as well. I'm getting, I know I'm probably getting three, four, 500 RPMs less spin on the range. And I think some people have tested that with TrackMan, where they tested on a nice fairway versus a range mat. And I think with irons, you're getting more spin off the fairway. Wedges might be a little bit of a different scenario. I've tested it here because the mat that I use is fiber built. and That's so, a much different mat than most though. Well, it's actually got two parts to it. So the part that you're supposed to hit off is like broom bristles. So the club will hit and it will continue to go down through it so it acts very much like grass and so when i hit off that i get relatively high spin rates or higher but you've also got a part of that mat that you stand on and that's very similar to what most people hit off on other mats so i can hit off that one as well i hit 100 balls off that and measured the spin rate and it was 500 rpms lower 
So yeah, hitting off different surfaces can change you know, hitting off a more hard pan surface may decrease spin rate because you're getting that bounce up effect. I mean, there's a trade off there. Some people say, oh, I spin it, I spin it really high off, say a cart path. Some people have done that before. Well, the reason why you might spin it higher off a cart path is because you're getting clean contact. But then if you hit slightly behind it, you might get lower spin rate because you're getting that bounce up effect. So there can be these two competing elements there. So yeah, it's, it's Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, a lot of this, the appropriate spin equation, getting back to just striking it well and having your, especially for approach and wedge shots, having the golf club interact properly with the turf, it solves a lot. It does, yeah. In terms of consistency, it, it, and consistency. that's what people are looking for, yeah. yeah. People are looking for consistency of spin rate because they want consistency of distance outcome. And so strike quality. Yeah, you don't want to be spinning rate. it 3,500 and then 7,000 because you're going to get two wildly different outcomes. Yeah. And a lot of yeah, golfers do see that on yards. the course. Yeah. So we're going to stop part one right there on our discussion on spin rate. Adam and I agreed that this topic might be a little heavy for some, so we figured we'd give it a little bit of a break. We'll have another episode next time, and then we'll come back with part two so you've had time to digest it. You can find me, John Sherman, at practical-golf.com, and as always, you can check out Adam's site at adamyounggolf.com. And a huge thank you to our show sponsor, The Indoor Golf Shop. You can find all your indoor golf needs at their website, shopindoorgolf.com. They are the experts when it comes to the best indoor golf simulator for your home or business. You can give them a call directly and talk to their guys like Brian and Wade, who can help you purchase the best launch monitor for your budget. They'll also guide you through all the different technology to help you become a better player. They've got a great team over there and check them out, shopindoorgolf.com. And thanks again for their support. We will see you next time with a new episode.